Thanks for the music, Steve Newton at the Bainbridge Island Music Guild. That gets the Friday started right. Thank you, Steve. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2017, and you have found the Bystander Podcast. Today's guest is Rasham Nassar. She is running for city council office in Bainbridge Island. Today, I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Eagle Harbor Insurance, Blue Canary Auto, and that's a sum pizza. Hey, a um, little birthday shout out to former Seahawk Hall of Fame wide receiver and professional wedding crasher, Jerry Rice, who is 55 years old today. On this day, seven years ago, 33 miners in Chile were trapped for 69 days underground. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that? I do remember that. And who was the guy that was in the movie? Was it Banderas? <laughs> Maybe that's why I remember that. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Hey, Seahawks are off this week, so it's uh, bye for Football Friday. Fourth place Sounders are playing fifth place Dallas Sunday at the Clink. Um, horrible news in my world. The USA did not qualify for the World Cup. Um, first time since 1986, right about when I graduated from high school, and there was no professional league in America. I do think it was a fair result, though. The team has not um, qualified for the last two Olympics. There's transition in coaching. Um, one of my mentors, Bruce Arena, who I worked with doing camps at University of Washington, also decided to re resign first thing this morning after the lack of qualification. So there's going to be a big turnaround in the U.S. Mint uh, program. Uh, Speaking of that, on the girls' side, Alex Morgan seemed to get in a little trouble at Disneyland this week, um, and that's all over the internet, going crazy. I want to give a shout-out to um, Seattle Reign FC player Jess Fishlock, the midfielder for the um, Reign, was named to the NWSL Best 11 um, for the league for the fourth time. Congratulations to her. Way to represent Seattle. Um, in the news, have you heard about this, about the volcano in Yellowstone? No. They say that we will have even less time to um, know that it's going to come, and the devastation can be um, a lot worse than first thought, based on some ash studies and uh, a few other things. How about this? Um, the EPA lifting habitat protection on pebble mining in Alaska. Maria Cantwell was on CNN yesterday talking about how that got pushed through, um, I believe, by the gold industry. But remember, on The Bystander, we don't fact check. And Tim sometimes talks out of the side of his neck. But uh, the pebble mining industry in Alaska, um, they believe that the biggest gold amount of gold can be found there. And the environmental impact of the pebble mining and the contract that the EPA um, helped 
they lift the sanctions so this company can come in there and and do that. The devastation to the salmon, the caribou, and and the wildlife in general, um, completely devastating. And I think it's caught everybody in um, politics off off guard. Um, and Marie Cantwell is really trumpeting this, which you know goes to more of the resources about the salmon um, in Alaska and around the Puget Sound, and Jay Inslee talking about the salmon nets and mm-hmm. the debacle of the Atlantic salmon, the farm-raised fish getting out into the sound. Do you have any thoughts on either one of those, the pebble mining or, or the salmon? I'm very sad to hear about the pebble mining. Um, and, yeah, the salmon in Puget Sound is definitely something that's um, incredibly worrisome. I understand that the company is uh, now bringing in even more fish. Um, to the offshore fisheries here on Bainbridge Island. Yeah, it's crazy. After the governor said, don't do it. Right. And so that's a whole other body of politics and legislation. Um, I have spoken with some members of the community, though, that are involved in fighting that effort. Um, But that's something that has to be won at the state. And I know that there's a lot of of support to um, challenge these... The, the movements to bring even more fish into, especially into our local area by our um, residents. and It's changed. I remember as a kid going down to the Ballard Locks and uh, seeing the fish ladder and salmon, 50, 60 pounds, just as big as I was. And my head was up, my face was pushed up against the glass, just in amazement how many salmon there were and the size of them. And, you know, it's completely different now as an adult salmon are, 10 to 15 pound range. There's not the volume going through the locks. Uh, salmon are addicted to meth. There's Atlantic salmon running wild from the farming. Um, I don't like to label myself, but if I were, I'm, I'm pretty close to a pescatarian. And I feel like the ocean is a huge resource that we can live live off in in many different ways. But how it's getting polluted and how we're not taking care of it and the the sewage breaks and the dumping of stuff in the ocean. It's just getting to be too much. And I'm starting to be fearful to even eat salmon that's sourced locally. Yeah. Um, it's got to change. How about the, uh, how about this discovery of plastics and shellfish? Did you hear about that? No, please tell me. Okay. So that was a news story that popped up on my uh, social media feed and it was shocking, but basically the gist of the story was that uh, researchers, marine biologists, have been able to verify that microplastics are now uh, can be now found in quantifiable amounts in every example and sample of shellfish in the Puget Sound. <laughs> I'm, I'm devastated. I talked it's intense. To- that means. You know, oysters, mussels, clams, you know. Um, Dear to my heart, crab, right? Yeah. I think the focus was on the shellfish, um, the uh, oysters and the uh, mussels and the clams, because that's a huge industry up here. And the Pacific Northwest has typically been very um, proud of that industry. Yeah. Cool. Shout out to Quill Scene. Yeah. <laughs> oyster, well, oyster, you know, oyster land. Here, here um, environmental devastation is now hitting home. 
And I think we're only going to be experiencing more and more and more examples of this. We're all waking up to the reality that environmental pollution is has reached a critical point, and it's forcing us to respond to it. And a lot of my campaign um, and my platform talks about environmentalism and specifically the subject of sustainability. And what that means, and that's directly applicable to um, what's happening with our world's oceans, our local oceans, and, our, and the Puget Sound. Yeah, um, I want to give a shout-out to... Um a little movement that's starting that I'm trying to instill in in my family is uh, hashtag stop sucking. Quit using straws to stir your coffee for two seconds and then throwing them into the waste and the landfill and winding up in the oceans. Um, I understand kids having a sippy cup, but stop sucking, people. Get off the plastics. It's It's crushing me. Absolutely crushing. We'll get back to some environment and sustainability um, a little bit later. But one other thing I wanted to talk about that uh, was kind of in the news was, did you hear about this um, five-story treehouse in the woods on Bainbridge Bainbridge Island? No, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So I'm kind of into the uh, tiny cottages and, you know, how we can live with less and kind of like the grow development where there's each unit is functional and it's smaller, smaller space. And I I like the conversion of the kind of the mobile homes that are on trailers that you can just take and sit down anywhere, but they're customized homes and there's a lot less product to make these things. They're a lot more efficient, um, kind of persuades you not to just sit at home and and uh, watch TV on the couch and have all this space and he put this huge carbon footprint. But I was reading an article, and um, when I read articles, please don't fact check me because lots of times I get stuff wrong. But the gist of it, I believe, was this almost $900,000 five-story treehouse mm. that was deemed like sustainable green living that was inspired or partially made by Franklin or Frank Lloyd Wright, who was a very famous architect, my dad's favorite for sure. But uh, now Leonardo DiCaprio, who um, is kind of trumpeting environmental causes and stuff, has decided he's going to build himself one of these green tree houses, inspired by this five-story, $900,000 home in the woods. So I think the message is kind of lost in transition here to DiCaprio, who uh, goes to these climate change um, events in his private you know, jet, wasting all his fuel, flying one person around town, and then talking about how we need to make change. And I like a lot of his messages. I just feel like sometimes he's not uh, practicing what he's preaching. And especially if you're talking about... Um, less of a carbon footprint and being one with nature and making a treehouse. I know it's kind of trendy and there's the treehouse show, which I believe that guy started with a treehouse, a very simple one, but very detailed in Polsbo um, off Sandy Hook Road there. And that that's really cool. And then he had a pictorial book and really enjoyed the process of making those small treehouses. But this blows my mind. I mean, get with the program here. $900,000 treehouse. Folks, what does your treehouse look like in your backyard? 
Hey, uh, I want to talk a little bit about <laughs> where you're from. Um, Cal Berkeley girl, or just outside there, correct? That's right, UC Berkeley. Go Bears. Uh, go Bears. Marshawn Lynch, shout out to you. We miss you. Don't burn us when the Raiders play us. Um, yeah, well, I tried playing for the Sacramento Knights for a while, and I stayed in an apartment off Hate Street above Guitar World for two weeks while I, I struggled to make this soccer team. Um, and I was, this is way back, you know, I'm 50 now, and it wasn't yesterday, so I may not remember the story accurately. But um, Hate Street was something that I had never seen living out here with the demonstration, the protest, the activism, um, people willing to talk to people openly about everything and anything, mm-hmm. and it seemed very artisanal. Um, but it also was littered with massive amounts of intelligent people. Um, I want to know what your experience was going to Cal Berkeley and if you had any hate street demonstration stories that you could share with us. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I'm, I was born and raised in the East Bay. And uh, East Bay being mostly focused in Berkeley and Oakland. And San Francisco is where you're talking about hate street and that mm. uh, hate Ashbury Right, kind of real uh, on fire, progressive part of San Francisco, and I did make it out there a few times um, against my parents' wishes. <laughs> Sneaking on the Bart train is very easy to get around. Uh, the Bart scared me. It was so fast, oh. and it was going through, shooting through tunnels, and I was just like, <laughs> "Okay, this is mass transit. This is what it's about." You know, I walk around yeah. Belltown, and uh, you know, maybe I catch a bus, but that Bart, how fast does that thing go? I think it reaches top speeds of, you know, 70, 60, 70 miles per hour. I know because when you take it on those long stretches as you're getting out of the city towards yeah. uh, Concord, Walnut Creek, and uh, you're you're competing with the cars on the highway. So it's going pretty fast. But it's not as fast as the trains in China, which I've also had an opportunity to ride. How fast are those? Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you just close hold your on. eyes and hold on to your seat. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. But Berkeley is a very alive place. I'm very grateful to have um, been born and raised there. I'm very proud of that part of my background. Um, UC Berkeley was a fantastic time. My freshman year, I uh, played for the water polo team. So that was a real um, great experience, too. And then I left that to uh, focus on my academic um, career at college um, but I was um, very um, happily lured into some of the activism on campus and did attend some rallies. Um, nothing that was too confrontational. Um, I know things got pretty aggressive with the uh, Occupy movement, and that was well after I left college, but I was still in Berkeley and I was still in Oakland. I did attend a few of those rallies. That's Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. If you remember when that came to Oakland, um, the SWAT team was involved. People were um, tear gas. There was a lot of oppressive, violent behavior from went through, law uh, enforcement. And WTO here in Seattle. That was a nightmare, too. Very similar. Yeah. I mean, it, all across the nation, I think people saw a really um, startling, violent reaction from our uh, law enforcement and um, police agencies. But things on, uh, from my experience, were pretty tame. Um, most of the issues we or I would, you know, stumble into were um, 
social rights, social justice issues. Um, I remember there was a there was a, a starvation rally that was going on, and that was to protest um, tuition increases, which a lot of students, you know, rightfully saw as a violation of their right to education. I wonder what um, they think of it now. <laughs> it's gotten a lot more expensive, for sure. Do you I, do you have any thoughts on uh, free education? I think it's the direction we should move towards. Yeah. Um, a lot of other countries definitely. do have free college, right? Oh, sure. My husband and I traveled through Tunisia, North Africa, and they um, their college is paid for in Tunisia. And they can do it, but we can't. They can do it, and we can't. And they're able to send some of their students on ex- externships to European countries. And Europe readily accepts, accepts them in countries like Germany, um, France, England. And they go and they study um, specific lines of, um, of academia, uh, mostly geared towards employment or work in fields of computer engineering or engineering in general. Um, but I was pretty shocked to see that a lot of the world, including a lot of the world we see as being underdeveloped or behind us in a lot of arenas and um, are able to provide their community with these, what I feel are basic rights and amenities. Yeah, we, we get off track with the basic necessities and, and where we're going and mm-hmm. so so much corporate greed and funneling money towards issues and, and changing the direction of it. Um, you grew up on a farm out in Cal, right? No. No? <laughs> no, I hope people aren't of that impression. Um, no, I grew up in a little suburban neighborhood off of a street called Skyview in El Sobrani, which is about 15 minutes from Berkeley. Um, and I enjoyed a pretty average um, working class upbringing. My dad was a pharmacist my entire life. He owned his own businesses. One at a time, he'd, um, he was, you know, cut. By the time the 80s came around and we started seeing these large-scale pharmacy chains opening up, up, um, he was having to compete with those as a small business owner. And I'm not kidding. Every store he owned, a Walgreens or a Long's or something, would inevitably pop up nearby. And he would be forced to sell and set up shop in another part of town. And most of his businesses were in Berkeley, um, with the exception of one in San Francisco. And then he eventually joined up with Pharmaca. And he helped get that holistic um, wellness um, pharmacy combo uh, started in their company out of Colorado. But um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I'm the oldest of four. And my upbringing, again, was just pretty average. I went to school, public schools, in um, what is now called the Richmond Unified School District. And I would come home from school and I would go straight to one of my after-school activities. I was involved in band. Um, I was a swimmer from the age of four. Um, High school, I was a water polo player. And and those extracurricular activities pretty much occupied all my time. No exposure to farming prior to that. My parents are from Palestine. My dad is from a farming village. So he'd whip out the old photo album and show pictures of his mom. And she's barefoot. And behind her is a herd of like 150 goats or the donkey. And he would talk, he'd tell stories about it, what it was like. He was born and raised in a small part of Palestine called Der de Buen. And it's just outside of Ramallah, near Jerusalem. Um, and it's seen a lot of development and growth. 
over the years, but back then he lived in a carved out rock. It was their home was very delicately built, a kind of a rock and clay composite, like, like single room, mountainside. It would be or? about the size of this room. Yeah, no, it was freestanding, but it was um, it was definitely just this very primitive arched um, dome rock structure um, that was built by hand back. I can't even speculate when, but uh, before my father was born, and he's a product of the uh, 40s. So um, his his upbringing was without electricity, um, without vehicular travel. It was um, what we would probably consider nowadays as being a, a primitive lifestyle. But one of the most amazing kind of aspects of his background now um, – reevaluating it or learning more about it from him at this point in my life is that it was sustainable. So they were living basically by producing the majority of their needs, um, including clothing and, um, you know, basic uh, um, pottery, cookware, that kind of stuff. And whatever original they, homesteaders, right? Original homesteaders, exactly. And whatever they couldn't produce, they would trade. Money wasn't in, you know, hadn't been introduced then, or at least it wasn't a big part of, of, of the way their economy worked. It was, um, it was, you take my goats out as the herder of the, of the town and I give you milk and cheese in exchange. Um, and as farmers now on the Island, uh, you know, that's something that my husband and I are definitely, um, trying to, or at least, um, joining in on this new culture that is intending, um, and attempting to revitalize all of that kind of old world culture, um, and knowledge and wisdom that's been lost. Shout out to a movement I'm trying to help move along here on the Island. And that is the time bank, um, barter and trade. I have a page on Facebook and I want to get back to Trading an hour of my time for an hour of your time, it takes a village mentality. Right. So if I can babysit your kid and you can f- change the oil in my car, why can't we trade as opposed to continuing to perpetuate the monetary system? Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was very frugal. Um, he built – well, he took military house, military housing, a small rambler. And it was about to get destroyed for construction project. He salvaged that and then jacked it up physically, like jacked the house up, framed underneath it, made a basement, um, put on an addition. And it was all his labor. Mm-hmm. And we lived in a trailer while that house was being built. And then later he found a second house, split our farm, um, subdivided it. And saved another house and made another improvement. So we were always um, learning from him and his homesteading ways in building our homes. And then that eventually, over time, he had two houses when he he sold those Mm -hmm. for retirement. But uh, I like the idea of a time bank, a simpler time where, like you said, you know, I'll trade sack of potatoes for some cheese with an additional farmer. And um, I think that would cure a lot of things or at least help go, go a long way into changing us back to a simpler form. Um, 
water polo. That's an incredible game. I can't <laughs> swim for nothing. I'm like a rock. And uh, unfortunately, my son has inherited my poor swimming oh, no. ability. <laughs> and we live on an island, you know, so... <laughs> Sometimes I walk out. Get yourself a life jacket. Yeah, it's, and by, a boat. it's by the front door. <laughs> Just Do I wear case. the coat or the life jacket today? Um, it's a very strenuous sport. You get up really early when you're in school to go swimming. Um, I play a Portuguese game called futsal and small-sided, and it's very similar, but it's on a court, and it's not taking on water and drowning and um, pushing and shoving and all that good stuff. What did you learn from that game of water polo? How competitive oh, are you? Gosh. Well, um, <laughs> it was a really big part of my life. And I have to say that I was um, I was pretty good. <laughs> I was on the um, I was on the state team and we played nationals. Um, and then again, I was um, you know invited on to the UC Berkeley water polo team as well my freshman year. Um, and those memories are probably the fondest that I have from my past. I, uh, I really do miss being in the water um, to that degree. The game itself is competitive, but it's also demanding of cooperation amongst team players. And we were so close as a team um, to the point, you know how, you, how, how if, if you get to know someone or a group of people so well, you can communicate without words? That's what it was like. So I, you know, it was really, it was really about um, getting in there, being one player in a team of <clears throat> six, five other players, and your goalie, and um, and exploring the dynamic of teamwork, and um, using and uh, exaggerating everyone's best qualities in the water, and using that to benefit the team as a whole. How, how, what's the difference between? You know, swimming is an individual sport. I often yeah. say that kids fit in different ways. You know, maybe track, they, they run an individual sport. Swimming, it's an individual sport. What kind of differences did you feel between going from individual responsibility to having a, a group responsibility? Was that a massive change? And did you wind up preferring the group dynamic after you transferred? Definitely. Definitely. Um, I... Definitely preferred the group dynamic over the individual swim sport. Um, although, um, you know, when you're there, they're both equally um, educational. You learn a lot about yourself in both respects. Um, and the applications um, are different in the sense that when you're a swimmer on a block, you're racing against yourself. There are other swimmers in the water and other lanes, and in, in a, to some degree, you're racing against them too. But what you really start to learn as a competitive um, swimmer is that you're racing against your own best time. So it's a, it's a, um, it's asking yourself to be better and asking more of yourself and challenging yourself to rise above whatever accomplishment you've achieved in the past, which I think is an incredibly healthy thing um, for us to do, you know, as long as we're doing it in a loving and kind and compassionate way. I was always nervous to get up on a block and to swim because you're alone out there and, and doing anything alone in life is scary. And um, for me, anyways, I approach those kinds of activities with a little bit of trepidation. Campaigning has definitely um, strengthened that uh, fear in me and transformed it into um, more of an anticipation uh, and excitement. 
Fear is a great motivator. Fear is an excellent motivator. And um, but when I was getting in the water with my team, we had smiles on our faces. I mean, there my heart was racing, of course, because that whistle blows and you know the game is on. But um, there's there's a, a type of and a kind of safety and security when you're going into something in numbers. Um, and if we look to nature, we could see that played out over and over again. We see that animals prefer to be in groups. When I uh, when one of my goats gets separated from the herd, the whole neighborhood knows. And I'll literally have someone come over and go, is everything okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I know it sounds like something's been dying for the last 30 minutes, but it's just that this goat, this goat is lost and it, you know, it's fine. But, um, you know, birds travel in flocks. Um, there's a lot to be said about um, humanity's ability to accomplish more together. Absolutely. And I think there's a way you can quantify um, your success in, in both an individual and team sport. In the individual swimming, like you said, you were going against yourself mostly. There's a measurement of time. There's a measurement of distance. So you can pick a longer distance or try to shorten your time in that race. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely quantified. And a team sport, the it's received differently. Some of the measurement is the smiles on the on your teammate's face. Some of it is going through the pain of losing with other people. Mm-hmm. And the greatest measurement is the euphoric feeling you get when you succeed as a group because you know it took everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, it's pretty awesome. Sports are, are run a great parallel in life and there's a lot to learn in losing, failing, and winning. Yeah, we lost a lot. We were <laughs> we were the underdog team. Um, our, my freshman year was the first team my high school had a water polo team. Um, so we started it, and it was all just it was all just uh, the the idea of our swim coach who played water polo, you know, however many years ago when he was in college, and said, "I want to start this. Are you guys interested?" And he got the ball out, and I was like, "You mean another way to have fun in the water?" <laughs> Let's do it. So our team was six people and a goalie. We were exhausted all the time, and we lost every single game. But after every single game, we went out and had ice cream because we were celebrating our attempt. We were celebrating the fact that we had overcome a challenge regardless of the outcome. Um, And we had a lot of positive mentors and coaches and parents that um, directed us to – kind of see the the challenge of losing that way. You ever um, have a bad coach? But it's all... <laughs> oh, you know, I can honestly say that I didn't. Bad teacher? Yes. Tell me. <laughs> okay. Why were they bad? Mr. Mazzini. Shout uh, out to you, man. Get your stuff in line. <laughs> Wherever you are, I really hope you're doing well. You let one slip through the cracks. I, well, it wasn't so much his fault that he was um, the worst teacher I ever had. He had his house burned down. And I know that we're all sensitive about this right now. California is um, going through a really difficult time. And I have a lot of friends that are going through a really difficult time with the fires that are burning. But Mr. Mazzini um, basically took that as an ex- as an excuse to uh, to remove himself from school for the entire year. He would show up. But he just wasn't there. And um, physically, not mentally. Right, physically, not mentally. And the great thing was, I didn't have to do any work. I turned in the (laughs) same homework assignment in pencil every Friday for the entire year. And so did most everybody in that class. The downside is that I didn't learn anything about geometry. (laughs) 
the plus side was, you know, clearly I had a, I had an extra hour of uh, lunchtime built into my high school schedule, <laughs> thanks to Mr. Mazzini. Oh, man. Um, you said something about goats. Um, what you oh, got yeah. going on with goats? So I have a really small herd of goats right now. I have four goats. <clears throat> Francisco is my is my man. Annabelle is my main milk goat. I sell soap around town, and it's goat milk soap, and um, every single bar of soap that's sold around the island has milk from Annabelle. Is when you don't you want to know that? <laughs> you want yes, to know I the, do. You want to know where the milk in your soap comes from? I can tell you. It's from Annabelle. Um, and then I have Clover and and her daughter Princess. And they Shout are out to them. But, uh. <laughs> I love I love goats. They're my favorite farm animal. They're gentle. Um, you know, I we we've also experimented with keeping pigs, and um, we do keep a couple right now. They're guinea hogs, so they're not much bigger than a dog. Um, and we keep them around to eat the compost. So we recycle the community's food. And my pigs do that. They do a great job. Are you just off that. sands? Are, <laughs> we are, yeah. Are you the one with the bucket? Put your, put your spoiled food in? I am. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll just insert a plug here. Uh, if you're <laughs> If you're looking for a place to compost your food or a place to drop off your old unwanted corner of New Brooklyn and Sands, there's a nifty little bin sitting out in the corner, and my, my animals would love to eat it. And then we take that compost, we compost it, um, and then we put it back into the earth. We use it again to grow uh, the vegetables. And the majority of what we do on the farm is um, agricultural production. So we probably have about three quarters of an acre right now that's actively growing. Um, and we're going to continue to expand that. So the majority of our of our usable, the usable area of our property is designated for agricultural use. Um, the pit, So back to the goats, the pigs are bullies. Have you ever spent time around a pig? Yes. Um, I do not eat pig any longer, but, um, yeah, I grew grew up on a farm. Um, we had pigs, we had cows, we had chickens, we had geese, we had garden, we had goats, we had dogs, cats, um, bunch of ducks. I want to stay on the goats. Um, Okay. That is my dream to be a goat farmer when I retire. So we got something in common here. I think goats are... Extremely useful. One, for environmental cleaning. You can rent out your goats and clean invasive species out of areas, and the goats will eat all day. That's one way you can derive an income and help the carbon footprint. Secondly, goat's milk. Lots lots of people are lactose intolerant. Goat milk is something that they can have most of the time. The cheese... um, I'm trying not to eat so much cheese, but when I do, <laughs> I love goat cheese and I love herbed goat cheese. Um, I grow a lot of uh, kitchen herbs just outside the door and um, goat cheese is, is fabulous. So there's three ways you can monetize goats. Now I know that you can make soap too. So now they're a four hitter for, mm. for me. Um, I love dogs. I would love to just sit on the porch uh, do some whittling, watch the dogs herd the goats, milk them, have artisanal resources like like you're doing, and uh, that's kind of how I want to go out. So you basically just described my life before filing for uh, city council. 
That's awesome. Sit on my porch. I milk my goats. I've got a I've got a dog. Love her to death. Um, What's your dog's name? Solace. Our farm is called Solace Farm. Oh, and it's after after the name of our dog. We wouldn't have a farm if it weren't for her. Uh, Most people that start um, kind of engaging in some aspect of farming on the island typically begin by keeping a couple chickens. It starts with two or three. (laughs) Shout out to all those people that have too many roosters. Right. I've I've heard a joke now that. you know, it's it's a requ- it's become a requirement of uh, of being in the kind of the cool kids club on the island. Because people gonna yeah, well, they don't ask you what or like how big your house is. They ask you how many chickens do you have. <laughs> right, even in Seattle, like Wallingford area, I know that there's been some huge town meetings over people narking off other people for having too many chickens yeah. because there's a chicken law, and <clears throat> now there's just excess chicken eggs everywhere, and they've gone crazy. <laughs> It's easy. It's easy to get out of hand. Yeah, um, it's fun too. We, I grew up five plus acres, and we had an incubator when I was a kid. So I would gather the eggs early in the morning when we milked the cows and the goats, and then I would mark these dates on the eggs, and then a quarter turn at night for each egg. And I was I was the hen of the house, and it had a little glass viewing um, spot so I could look and see if there was any chicks. And then all of a sudden that. I think it was 30 days or, or so until the chicken hatches. I don't know. 28. 28. Or, yeah. Is it 28 or is it 21? I don't, I don't I know. I don't fact check. <laughs> it's been a while. But, I think duck, egg, duck eggs are longer. Yes. I know that. Yes. Didn't worry about the ducks because okay. we had so many of them. But um, the chicken eggs, that was such a great experience as a mm-hmm. child. And I hope you, your, your child can experience mm-hmm. that too, the live birth of Goats, pigs, chickens. It, it's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Well, hearing you talk about it favorably um, puts my my heart and my mind a little at ease because this is the way he is growing up. <laughs> he's 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 just turned fifteen months, and um, you know we're we're up at five. We go outside together. We milk the goat, and he sits there very patiently and and witnesses me as I as I do this he feeds the chickens he feeds the pigs um he interacts with the goats it's remarkable to see a little person be so confident around these um animals and and I hope I hope I'm getting the message across that um there's there's a there's a symbiotic relationship that we're developing here with these farm animals we're all dependent upon each other for our needs they're dependent on me I'm dependent on them um and there's a profound level of respect that that develops um with respect to the animal um, and that relationship um recognizing that the importance of the mutual bond that we share um so it's nice to hear you talk about favorably about your childhood and not like oh i hated the (laughs) it's good it's good it makes me think i'm doing something right (laughs) you are but it's no guarantee i I mean it it didn't make me turn out right (laughs) so um That's awesome. I'm super excited for you. Um, Vermiculture is your next move. Um, I take some of my food waste and have stacks of uh, worms in a worm box and then make the worm tea and then scoop scoop out the dirt at the bottom. And that's pretty exciting. And then you get more and more worms. uh, Shout out to Woody Harrelson. um, What was the movie? He made a made a documentary, and it had, it introduced me to vermiculture. But he was basically going to universities, riding his bicycle, 
and talking about balance in life and mm -hmm. how he used to throw, when he first got to Hollywood, throw a bunch of money at situations. And it's, he used the analogy, do you ever throw paper on a fire that's already burning? Mm -hmm. uh, he mm -hmm. really regrets donating so much of his movie money to causes that just went up in flame all the time. So he started taking action himself. He got rid of his Cadillac, rode his bicycle around, and then he started talking about sourcing food, where it came from, what kind of relationship do we have? Oh, Go Further, I believe the movie was called. He talked about the relationship where we go into a restaurant, our steak comes or whatever, and we don't think about it at all. And I really despise the big dairy farms, the bovine industry, the chickens and stuff like that. So it's good to hear somebody's participating in local farming and returning things to earth through composting and mm -hmm. also trying to encourage others to take action and be part of the movement in having your little bucket out there on the corner saying, hey, you got rotten food, I can use it. And you use it in multiple ways to feed animals, which then comes into uh, returning it through compost in, into the gardens and stuff like that. Um, you have kind of an eclectic background when you were going to school in California, a little bit of law background, philosophy. Um, you're doing real estate now a little bit? Yeah. So my, um, I was in college, I was on a law school path. Um, I, my first two years I tried science, um, and uh, I think because I, I basically skipped uh, sophomore year geometry, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I got no, to Cal. You, skip it. you just had additional lunch hour. <laughs> well, yeah. Fast forward a few years, and, and I and, and I regret my lack of participation in that, that during that year of my life. But um, science just turned out not to be for me, and so I explored other avenues. I was always really good at writing. Um, considered myself a, a pretty good thinker. And um, fell into philosophy. And, and then the big question is, well, what the heck am I going to do with a philosophy degree? And some, um, you know, bright uh, student, I remember his, his name was Jesus, turned to me and said, well, law school, that's what we're all doing here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Okay. So, um, so that was kind of the, the, the path that I'd selected for myself. And I ended up volunteering at a community law center. Um, and doing some legal advocacy work uh, around housing advocacy and social justice. Um, I worked, I think I held two jobs um, as a legal secretary, um, paralegal, um, after college. And I took the LSATs and that was going to be what I did. I had already selected the college I'd, I'd applied to. Um, before I got into law school, I met my husband. So I'm not a lawyer. I've never been to law school. But you, you had a little bit of interest. or I had a little bit of interest. And the interest for me was in advocacy. It was always about um, doing the right thing. And, um, Shout and out to Spike Lee. <laughs> serving, nice one. And serving the, um, serving the voiceless, being a voice for the voiceless. That's what interested me. Um, you ever, in, ever see that, that uh, sitcom Speechless? No. It's pretty good. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I just want to mention that. That's okay. a really good. Mimi Driver's in it. Um, oh, nice. Really good. And there's well, a. I love legal shows. I'm, I'm a fanatic. Damages was, uh, have you seen? 
I don't was that on Netflix or something? No. Damages. Who's in that? Glenn Close. Oh, she's a powerful, slightly wicked woman. She's a great actress. I mean, she's she's the yeah, she's she's it, it's it's pretty uh it's very entertaining to say the least. But I would never have been that type of lawyer. I'm just not that type of person. Um I would I was preparing myself for a career as a poor lawyer. <laughs> AKA a people's lawyer. Gotcha. Um but it never happened, and I um, I worked instead in management, um, and held a lot of other jobs. Um, also worked a lot, and primarily for my father. He was opening a uh, store in Berkeley. I guess that would be his fourth or fifth pharmacy on Solano Avenue called Sal's Pharmacy, and I basically um, helped him about fifty percent of the way. So. I really got um, a glimpse into business, into entrepreneurship through him. Um, I helped him manage the pharmacy, run the pharmacy. I was his pharmacy tech. It was just the two of us behind the counter at the store um, for a couple of years. And it was amazing. I dove into building relationships with the community, um, with the food bank. We did and ran um, programs and funding for other local nonprofits in the area. And we were members of the uh, Chamber of Commerce in Berkeley. So it was a really fantastic experience. And my my real passion um, in that and, and what my father did really well to encourage me towards was a natural health and herbalism. Do you, do you see a homopath or a regular doctor? <laughs> I see an acupuncturist um, on the island. I could say your name, but is that does that no, violate no, any no. like marketing <laughs> rules? No, this this is my show. We could do whatever we want here. Um, Island acupuncture. Shout out to them. So yeah, if you want to get stuck with a needle, and, yeah. Well, I find it to be fantastic medicine. It works. It works for me. Yeah, there's a debate that it doesn't, but um, it's fifty fifty when I talk to people. Yeah, uh, it's every, you know it didn't work for my mom. Um, but she's, she saw a chiropractor and found that to be more healing and uh, conducive for uh, pain relief. But um, yeah, that's I 50, love the 50, too, the chiropractor. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, shout out to Julie. I, I do have an occasional adjustment here and there and massage, and mm-hmm. um, it works for me. But I think there's a lot of quacks out there for sure. And uh, doing, I was on some Frankenstein machine and. This guy was tapping me with like a automatic hammer thing, mm. and he never touched me with his hands. And I was just like, <laughs> "No, <Okay>. you're crazy." <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not. That's I'm not familiar with that. Not down with that. <laughs> um, how do you feel about uh, big pharmacy? I I try to get my nutrients through food. I do have mm-hmm. to take a few pills because I, I have a a poor pancreas, um, and there's just no getting around it. You, you get one chance with your pancreas. Um, but for the majority, I, tr- I tried to eat foods and absorb a dense amount of nutrients, um, broad base. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the health industry and pharmaceuticals and the way that's going and, and the big business? Um, before sure. you say that real quick, um, rest in peace, Winslow Drug. Um, I thought of them when you were talking about your dad's store. Yeah, it's real. When we, when my dad was, uh, he retired from the store that I helped him open. But 
you know, we tried to make a go of it and it, and it worked, it did, but it was, a, it was an uphill battle. So it was a good decision for him to, to leave when he did. Um, it's very difficult for small independent pharmacies. They have their work cut out for them. Um, so health is, um, you know, it's about a balance. There are, I totally respect Western medicine um, for its ability to provide um, essential and, and critical care for people that need it. And, um, you know, we're lucky to have access to that kind of avenue of medicine. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think health is, um, you know, it's, it's not just any one component. There are a lot of different, uh, contributing factors to health. There's lots of different sides to consider when you're talking about health. I like to use the word holistic. I'm sure you've heard, heard that before. And that's, um, that's a word that's now being used to describe, um, governmental policies, holistic approach. It's something I talk about in my campaign. And I've even, I think I've even drawn a few analogies to the human body and um, uh, there. So I don't know how, how good they've been, but it's really about empowering people to make good choices. I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to do what's best for them. We all want to serve our own best interests. We all want to be healthy. Um, and part of why my husband and I got involved in local organic farming, um, not only to supply our own healthy food um, to benefit our own health, but is was also to set an example because we've been inspired by other people that have been leading lives similar to the way that um, we are, um, mostly taking inspiration from our two years traveling the world by bicycle where um, you know we explored the third world homestead communities, which were still 100% self-sufficient and sustainable by virtue of the fact that they just hadn't been touched by Westernism or as influenced, but also um, drawing from other more modern cultures where people are now recognizing the toxicity of our fire, of our environment, um, the unhealthy state of a lot of the um, commercial agriculture that's being sold to us in stores and mismarketed and, mispa- and mispackaged. Oh, my blood's boiling. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then don't even get me started on the meat industry. Um, Please, I'd like to start we, on that. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, and all day. <clears throat> um, this all comes down to transparency. The the reason I think these businesses have been have been perpetuated and they're and they're still very highly profitable today is because people don't know the truth, um, and and the truth is really where it's at. When people when when the truth is revealed, when when a, when an alternative is provided, people a healthier alternative is provided. I think people generally typically want and prefer that alternative. Um, the trick is to make that alternative affordable. And accessible, um, and again through uh, farming, my husband and I really hope to and aspire to um, contribute that back to the community of Bainbridge Island. Farmers Market's a great place um, to do that, to be a presence um, and to be an advocate for environmentalism and sustainability and organic food, and then by virtue also an advocate of health, um, because as you mentioned, health does start with food. It starts with the things that we're putting into our body. Um, Having a farm stand on the corner, um, we ran a donation-based farm stand, I think, last summer, and then my son was born, and um, my priority shifted over to um, him. But that was also really successful. So um, we've also done pick. So we've invited people onto the farm <clears throat> to come harvest their food fresh, realizing that so many of the nutrients are lost in produce um, as it sits. 
Yeah. So and, if you and can eat too. something out of the ground, it's right. Yeah. The, the same, nutri- same goes for yeah. <laughs> we go for the lean, skinless, boneless chicken breast. The, the nutrients in that chicken that's been bastardized, you know, is minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not eating better by getting low fat options necessarily. Um, when when it comes to f- health, I, I think the preventive way or the holistic approach where you put in the exercise and the diet is, is where you have to start if you want to have better health. It's not going to the hospital or to your doctor's office, excuse me, and getting a prescription for something that is pushed. You know, it's not, it's very finite. There's a certain pill that this certain hospital slings to you for certain things, right? And it's not a wide base like, hey, you know, add add more honey to your diet and you'll be fine in three <laughs> days. It's buy this pill constantly and it drives me nuts. Um, I want to get to um, some of the city council issues. Um, thank you for jumping into the race. We've arrived. Yes. <laughs> At well, the heart of the matter. Okay. Um, well, it depends on what matters. I, right, meeting no, you is no, something you. that matters to me. I love some of the – I'm a guerrilla marketer myself. Um, okay. <laughs> I love how your uh, political sign has a heart instead of an O and vote. That caught my eye. That okay. made me feel good. It worked. Yes. Um, <laughs> but moreover, and, and the bicycle trip that you and your husband took for two years around the world? It was on and off for two years. We we were on – we'd come to Bainbridge. Well, he's from – he's born and raised on the island. His family's been here over 40 years. Um, Straight out of Bainbridge. And I, <laughs> 2012, we met. It was – uh, it was love at first sight. A lot of things just came together. Ding, and he ding, brought ding. me to Bainbridge. But we um, we were traveling off and on for two years and um, taking extensive uh, uh, chunks of time to, to do these really long, drawn-out tours in different parts of the world. Our first trip was um, from San Francisco to uh, L.A. And Joshua Tree, actually. And that was kind of... That was like that was like both myself and him seeing if the shoe fits. He was committed to bicycling for the rest of his life. <laughs> He'll tell you he had this. Me too on like, the electric bike. He's like, forget about you know work. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna live the nomadic existence, very roomy esque. I'm gonna wander and I'm gonna learn. Um, my husband is very personable. Um, you meet him, you can't not like him. He's um, he's just refreshing. Of course, I could talk about all of his amazing qualities. I married him. <laughs> Obviously, I think he's the best, uh, uh, you know, partner out there. Welcome but, um, to the dating game, people. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but uh, I'd been on my bike for so many years. I'm from Berkeley and Berkeley yeah, is so progressively bike friendly. Um, in fact, if you drive a car in Berkeley, people <laughs> roll car their shaming, eyes at you. car shaming. You're like, Wait, you car. drove to the grocery store again. Like you, you know, they, they don't care how far you live. Um, and no, I was a very devoted by a cyc- cyclist commuter. I went everywhere on my bike. It was a Le Mans. I'll never forget it. I accidentally ran over it with my car. Um, Sometime down the road, uh, which was very unfortunate, but that was that was my baby. You ran over what? Your bike? I, my bike. Yeah, I you know I just leaned it against the back of the car. You've, come on, you've done things like that. We've all done things. Shout like out that. to my push lawnmower. 
those yes. things that are, that are, are you know they're 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 like these experiences that are that are like seem intentionally planted in our lives to keep us humble. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're so great, you're having the best day ever, and then, oops, I just ran over my bike. Um, but we took that first leg, and um, I loved it. It was really my first tour, um, and I had to make some adjustments. I uh, got myself a touring bike, and um, and we we finished that uh, trip, and I was I was just floored by the experience. Um, if you really want to experience the best side of humanity, take a bike tour. People left and right are. Um, offering us things they're they're inviting us in um they're feeding us they're giving us money we're not asking for help but um somehow there there's there's some level of vulnerability involved when you're out there on a bike with just the things that are in your bag um that appeals to the best side in people um like getting hit by a car no. perhaps <laughs> yeah well that was my mom you know she's like, are you okay and if i didn't answer in five minutes she's you know she's like i'm watching the news waiting to see you know <laughs> like mom shout out to Ke- everything's cat and ellie i'm sorry your mom jumped you <laughs> when you went for that bike ride in new york recently um back to my uh, point about your uh, marketing I like the bicycle marketing that you did. You had planters on the bike. This kind of goes to your organic farming sense sensibility. The bicycle issues that are going on, on the island and having less of a carbon footprint on being on your bike. And then lastly, you had twigs in your spokes. Not baseball cards, but twigs in your spokes. So green. <laughs> it just so, gave, gave as, me a warm feeling. <laughs> as much as I want to take credit for those. Um, your bike was stolen that, and vandalized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really had nothing to do with that. That was just um, just one member in a community of supporters whom I've only recently met that... Um, I took the liberty of doing that, had the idea, and then went ahead and did it. I, I hope we're not up, upsetting any ordinance. I was a little, you know, but I think it's. Um, Ask for I'm glad you noticed not- and thought it was and thought it was cute because I walked by and I thought, what a what an inventive and creative idea. And bicycling is really an important part of um, of who I am, and to see that all come together with the plants is quite sweet. I was very thankful to her. Yeah, shout out to her, whoever you are. Well done. You might have a job in marketing. Hey, let's get to the issues about the the bicycle community. We have Bike for Pie and Chili Hilly, two bicycle events here. We're definitely a bicycle-type community. Mm-hmm. We have a, a project for the bike lane um, and a possible bridge being built. Um, can you expand and talk about... Um, the bicycle culture and the issues that are pertinent to the council. Yeah. Um, so, um, so right now we have, uh, you know, we have the squeaky wheels. They're kind of our bicycling advocacy group and they are, they've been, uh, they've presented and are, advocating for an initiative called the Core 40, which seeks to expand bicycle infrastructure island-wide to make it safer um, for uh, islanders and commuters to get around on some of our busiest roads. Um, and that's a project I wholeheartedly support. I was um, had a, the pleasure of sitting down with them and meeting a lot of their board members and discussing the importance of 
building better bicycling infrastructure, not just bicycle infrastructure, but pedestrian infrastructure. Um, I think we talked earlier about the um, the, the the future and the future uh, being more um, encouraging of these types of travel. Um, and we have a lot of re- we have a lot of opportunity right now to create these avenues of accessibility for cyclists and pedestrians yeah. island wide. Um, and that's something I definitely want to support. Unfortunately, it's been um, whole, almost wholly neglected and underfunded. So this ties also into uh, the city spending decisions, um, the allocation of funds. Um, one of my campaign points is fiscal accountability to taxpayers. And what that includes is not only an understanding of the cumulative tax impact to islanders, but also seeking to spread the benefits, our investments as far and wide as possible. Um, so, uh, for example, we're discussing a potential pedestrian bridge over 305. And while some of the push for that bridge is to promote pedestrian accessibility, um, which is a good thing, we all want to get to see people um, move away from cars. Um, the future is definitely not car, not as car centric as we are today. But when we're talking about a million plus invested in a project um, whose uh, benefit to the community is rather limited, just by virtue of nature of the of the of the scale of this assignment. Um, I think we need to ask ourselves, where else can we invest and make that investment as strong um, as possible, meaning providing utmost benefit to the community and spreading that benefit as far and wide as possible. And we can do a lot with um, with really very little, um, but we need something. I went on a trail walk with a gentleman named John Grint- Grinter. Um, he's on the non-motorized committee and he is our uh, island trail expert and we walked through some parts of the island that i didn't know existed gorgeous woods wetlands um a salmon bearing stream if you can believe it and they are actually actively witnessing and monitoring salmon in that stream on the island and we walked from somewhere around hyla to uh the intersection of Sportman Club and New Brooklyn Road, primarily on trails. And the majority of that was through a city-owned property called the Lost Valley. It was breathtaking. The trail was primitive. Um, He kind of bushwhacked a few times. I slipped and fell. (laughs) It was really muddy. Um, I tore my jacket. It needs some work to make it accessible to the general public. But there it is. And... I'm so inspired by him and his work. He, he, he has examples of this all over the island. He has trail networks that he's linked together. He's identified the missing links where the city could potentially um, and would potentially in the future purchase easements over or um, have developers um, uh, buy um, uh, part of building their uh permits for development would be authorized to then develop or donate a portion of their property for trail so that we can continue continue to connect these inner uh, pathways. Um, but all the, all the work has basically been done. Now it's just waiting for um, council leadership and some money. Um, so again, fiscal accountability. Um, 
smarter spending decisions, more frugal spending decisions. Um, we're looking at a really expensive police station um, pro- proposal right now, $28.4 million, which is up from Prop 1, which was $15 million. Now, that was voted down by 75% of the community, and um, it was on a toxic site. But also some of the reasons for um, community, widespread community oppositions was the cost. Because if you remember, we'd come up from $7 million to 15. Seven million was the option to co-locate with the fire station. So now we're at 28.4 million. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of frustration around the island right now. The, the, um, the community wants answers. They're suspicious of the city's um, uh, ability spending to ways, yeah. spend, right. They're spending ways. Um, they're ability to maintain public trust and transparency throughout the decision-making process. Why are we seeing these enormous capital projects proposals when we have actual real needs on the island that are being largely ignored? Um, yeah, the, the courthouse in Rolling Bay, I mean, how many people are coming through there? I, I don't see a huge amount of traffic. Um, I've been in there for a parking ticket once, I think. 50 bucks, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and I like had to wake up somebody, you know, <laughs> to find somebody in there. It was, like, it was like a morgue. And then I've been in the police station a few times um, asking for wellness checks on some people that were, you know, down and out on their luck. And I've walked in there and there's not a huge line of criminals waiting to be processed in that small place. Um, I like the idea of, Everything being together, fire, courthouse, uh, cops, but or police people, however you want to be called now, it's political correctness world. Um, Twenty-eight million. I mean, how gigantic of a project are are they asking for? Well, that's my question as well, and I think that that's a question that um, a lot of people have. But you know, um, trust is the biggest component here. Our citizen survey came back and the city's uh, confidence in city government rating was 35 percent. Wow. Which is sadly lower than the national average, if you can believe it. That's Trump territory. Uh, So we have a lot of work to do. And we do have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work. We need a new police facility. I don't think anybody's arguing that. Islanders are so happy to give back to the um, to our police force. Um, we're very grateful to them and their presence in the community. Um, we want to see them have an adequate um, and well-functioning station. It's the process that people have a problem with, um, the lack of transparency throughout the process, and then this gross assumption of, of price um, people are just generally unhappy with. So, um, How do we get that trust back to the people? Well, everything that council... And the city city wants to achieve has to be achieved through a path of trust. Um, one of the things that I've uh, kind of been hearing around the community doorbelling and such is, even if we were to put a really amazing, say, the core forty or um, an island wide uh, bond uh, on the on the ballot to improve pedestrian access through these trails I was just talking um, about. Even if we propose that to voters um, and propose it as a tax increase. Um, sadly, what I've been hearing from doorbelling is people are, are harboring so much resentment towards the city and there's such a dire lack of trust and faith in our local leadership that even those things may not pass. Um, so really, 
it's in our leader's best interest at this moment in time to um, prioritize that and to consider that when making these decisions. The police station pro- uh, proposal should never have been revealed before, um, you know, in my opinion, the city manager, city staff and council should have looked at it and said, we need to bring this down before we even suggest this to the community. We have to anticipate their um, concerns about um, financial uh, expenditures coming from the city. Um, and that really was is with all due respect to the taxpayers on this island. Um, when we talk about taxes and especially rising property taxes, we're also talking about affordability, which is another one of our identified um, community goals. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, another one of the concerns that I've uh, been hearing a lot of when I'm out there in the community, especially by the um, senior population, is this idea or this fear, I should say, of being taxed off their land. Um not being able to afford their homes anymore. And um, and I think that's a very uh, legitimate concern. We're, we haven't seen our 2018 tax bills yet, but we will be expecting the fire station um, as well as the, uh, the tax that passed on the schools. I think that was Blakely Elementary, as well as a possible statewide education tax um, that might may or may not um, – Come our way. Education tax. This is something that drives me nuts. There's a sin tax for alcohol, lottery, cigarettes, uh, marijuana. There's huge taxation for that. And like the lottery often advertises that it's going to educational funds. Thank you for your donation. Um, Mm -hmm. I've stolen your dollar. But then all that sin tax or earmarked educational it goes into a general fund in the state and then they decide to move a line item here a line item there and i i think it was last year the bainbridge teachers uh, made a statement that they weren't pay- getting paid the contract that, that was agreed upon by the state let alone what their value was truly worth mm-hmm. and i think it's one of the most underpaid professions and one of the most important. We have the school district click-a-thon. We have these carnivals around here. We have a plethora of people that are willing to volunteer their time to the schools. And we still lack so much funding for education. Do you see an answer coming down the pipes? No. And uh, this is... Um, homeschool. <laughs> well, I do plan on homeschooling my son, actually. My husband was homeschooled. But um, that's another topic of conversation. Um, schools is its own taxing agency. So that's a whole separate ballgame um, than council affairs and city affairs. So we have our we have our schools and parks similarly is... Um, um, you know, independently operated by another a taxing uh, di- division, and they have their own um, hierarchy and structure and employees and staff and leadership. Um, so I'm glad that's not my problem. <laughs> my uh, my sister's fiance is a um, kindergarten school teacher, so I do hear firsthand the frustrations. I know how overworked and exhausted they are, and how much of their own personal they time get and the money summers off. Right. That's always a stupid argument. Well, I he yeah, I know. He's back he's back in there setting up his room and he's paying for his little, you know, 
uh, decorations for his classroom out of his own money. Right. He doesn't get he doesn't get a, a budget for that. And that's why you see more of these funding um, crowdfunding type sources going right. on that says, "Hey, right. Mead paper, can you donate X Y Z?" And uh, people contribute to that. And that that's the good side of social media for mm-hmm. sure. Um, as far as our resources here on the island and the retention of those and the management of those. Do you, do you feel like the council currently is doing a good job with our resources? Are you, you mean pertaining to land use? Yes. Um, I think we can do much, much better. I think the level of deforestation we've all experienced has been unfortunate, um, especially the most recent clear cut that occurred on uh, in public right of way along the 305. That was, in my opinion, inexcusable. Council has to set the tone, and um, and I think they um, they dropped the ball on that one. Um, that's visually stunning, I think, and that's something that <laughs> is in the forefront of everybody's mind because anybody that goes off the island sees that, right? Mm-hmm. It was completely green, and now it's a, a trail that's not in use yet, and the funding is shorted, shorted. Mm-hmm. but the clear cut, you know, that's, that's disturbing, you know? And it, yeah. I, I got involved in city politics through environmental advocacy. So my um, my attention turned to um, onto council um, during the Suzuki debate. And that Suzuki is a publicly owned parcel of somewhere near 14 acres. It sits at the corner of New Brooklyn Sportman Club Road, sandwiched between um, school district property. In your hood. Yeah, I'm, ha- I'm about half a mile, a little over half a mile from that uh, so I drive by it. So it was, it was of interest to me because it's in my hyper-local neighborhood. Um, but I started paying attention to the way the process was being conducted um, around the potential sale of this lot. And um, this, the sale was presented as um, a strategic way to achieve affordable housing on the island. Recognizing the lack of it, um, council proposed that we would sell this property um, in exchange for affor- an affordable development. Do you think that and there should was be no, developed completely affordable housing, nothing else? Well, or th- it's a really developed? complicated. Yeah, it's 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 complicated. Um, and the more uh, now I've been involved with Suzuki for going on to, to twenty eighteen will be going on three years. Um, what you have there is fourteen acres of ecologically significant aquifer recharge potential aquifer recharge zone land. Um, there's a, a huge um, uh, pond that sits the rear. And we'll see that would be the south of the property. There are significant trees. Um, we had Mike Bonoff, the state's um, old growth uh, forest commissioner, come out and do an assessment of those trees. Olaf Ribera, an island ecologist, came out and also did an assessment of those trees. And they were assessed it to be significant. Now, we're doing this work while um, council is unfortunately an submitting had already submit a request for proposals for development um, without having done their due diligence on the property. And that was where the advocacy became so important because we weren't advocating against affordable development. We were advocating that the pro- that a, that a process be followed, that we be responsible with, with this land, that we understand what's on it before we hand it over. Um, and some of those proposals came back, um, perhaps the majority of them, there were four, and I think maybe three out of those four, but don't quote me on that. Um, it's been a while since I've seen them. Um, came back and uh, clear-cut those six significant areas. And I do recall that one had transformed that pond into a um, stormwater management pond from its kind of ecological um, state now. So I came into, I came into city politics um, 
with that with forefront that, of your mind going. Yeah, with that forte of uh, you know, if if we can't be responsible with our own land, if we can't be environmentally sensitive with land that we own and that was purchased with taxpayer dollars, then how can we ever expect developers to uh, commit to um, Fair point. to tree retention and sensitivity to water. Um, the, the truth is we can't. Leadership has to come from council and it has to come from council on these on these points. And the, and the truth is we have not seen significant council leadership in this area one in thing the past I, four years. One thing I'd like to see is uh, a process I believe they call polling. There's a, there's a lot of weak trees in there and they've grown really high mm-hmm. searching for the sun and are really thin and, and somewhat dangerous in my mind. I think if we could cut a random tree here and there inside there, that would help the growth of the tr- trees that are in there. Sure. There's there's a lot to be said about management um, of property, uh, too, that we, we could do um, we could do better at. But, you know, the, the point is, is people, um, including the potential residents of the, those affordable units in Suzuki, if given an option, would prefer to live on a lot that had some level of natural system retention present those properties will be far more valuable there it's healthier um you know uh for the residents um it's healthier for the community um in terms of uh, maintaining a certain degree of of tree coverage and canopy across the island um or striving to towards sustainability meaning not stopping development outright but managing it better so that we're not clear-cutting land um, and building houses, but we are building houses around um, the natural elements that are currently in existence, within an attempt to preserve them to the best of our ability, and that's wholly within our ability to achieve. But it to, it will require council leadership, um, environmentally allied progressive leadership, to take the elements that are in the comprehensive plan. The updates are now complete. This is why this election is so important is now it's time to implement. And that provides us with a lot of guidance. The community has come together and said, this is our foremost value, sustainability, um, tree retention, not um, seeing clear-cut developments happening on Bainbridge Island anymore. Also with respect to our groundwater uh, uh, supply. Um, We have a lot of work to do to pass progressive tree protection requirements um, and to um, set some development restrictions um, so that we can guide development in a healthier, more sustainable way. And in the end, everybody will be happier. This is not to hurt anybody. It's to help everybody. We all want clean air and we all want clean water. And that makes everyone an environmentalist at their core. Um, it's, 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 it's getting it out there um, and, and, and spreading the, uh, the scientific research and facts, I think we're all now coming to acknowledge it a little bit more deeply with climate change becoming an actual reality. Um, that, oh, hey, yeah, I do have a part to play in this. And um, this is important. And so, yeah, we should put some of our, um, or most of our, in fact, attention here. Yeah. Have you seen these bumper stickers on some people's cars? Clear cut Bainbridge? I th- I'm hoping that's a joke. Is it? I really. Chris, is that a joke? Have you heard? <laughs> I've not gotten to the bottom of that. Yeah, I, I always want to like deflate the tires or something. Well, in the car. Do you I'm remember the like... logo thing 
No. People still remind me when I knock on their doors that when I talk start talking about money, they're like, oh, remember the logo? Okay, oh, so wait, oh, the, the branding. Bay, the, the, brand, the, the branding, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, Do you remember Yasko. the version with the axes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't the bumper stickers come out somewhere? I mean, I don't know if they were related, but that was also a... a <laughs> oh, do they? Yeah, so anyways, well, there's been a number of uh, humorous attempts at that. But it's, 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 um, it's sad, really, because um, it's true. We, um, we've, not, we've not been good stewards of our own land. Yeah. And if we want to um, ensure that water is going to come out of the tap when we turn it on, um, if we want to continue to enjoy the quality of life we have here, basic amenities like breathable air, then we have to do something about it, and we have to do something about it now. That's my favorite part of the island is just breathing the fresh air. Mm-hmm. You know, we're you very get a, lucky. We're, and I, we're very spoiled lucky. in a way, really. I go back to visit my mom in the Bay Area, and I'm like, I'm choking. <laughs> like, oh my God, look at you. Know, how do you stand Olivia? You know, I've come from there and I've I've been here now going on six years. Um, but I've become so accustomed to the um the benefits of living in an in in a natural setting, living amongst trees and, and nature. And we have a we have a gift and um we shouldn't give it away. We should protect it and hold on to it with everything we have so that our children can grow up. Um enjoying the same benefits that we have and also so that we can become leaders you know nationwide um globally there are other cities that are that are uh demonstrating they're far more environmentally progressive than we are and we have every resource and capability to do that we are incredibly academic and intelligent and scientific community and their uh, community members are more than willing to step up and to volunteer their time and their expertise to making sure that our goals are achieved um, what's been lacking is um, the leadership to get us there so by running that's what I hope to provide that that really is um, at the heart of who I am hence the heart on the <laughs> the vote sign it's the heart of, 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 of the community of Bainbridge Island it's the most important part of our comprehensive plan um, and it's at the heart of all of the most um, troubling and urgent issues facing humanity today. Hashtag green trees lives matter. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag climate change is real. I was endorsed by Climate Action Bainbridge too, so I'm gonna I'll just throw that out. Yeah, there. Sh- <laughs> throw those shout outs out. Let's take a minute to have a, a okay. couple shout outs here. I'd like to thank my sponsors. That's some pizza, a Bainbridge Island tradition since 1984. Owned and operated by the Grant family, they are the oldest restaurant on Bainbridge Island. Since day one, they have used a 120-year-old sourdough starter from the Klondike Gold Rush to make a unique sourdough crust that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. Each week, they make over 2,000 pounds of sourdough and shred 500 pounds of cheese. Hungry yet? Call them now at 206 842 Two two, nine two, or order online at thatsasum.com. Blue Canary Auto, the bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the car repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz 
or call 206-451-4220. Loaner vehicles available upon request. Eagle Harbor Insurance. Thomas Sawyer, independent broker and owner of Eagle Harbor Insurance, works for you, not the insurance carrier. One-stop shopping for all your insurance needs. Thomas and Eagle Harbor Insurance provides portfolio service, home, auto, umbrella, health, life, business, and travel insurance. Located locally on the waterfront at 175 Parfit Way Southeast. Call 206 842 7410 or visit them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Chris Walker for helping produce this show, Steve Newman or Newton, excuse me, uh, at the Music Guild for providing the music. Um, how do you feel about the power issue and uh, the job that PSE is doing? And how do you see the resources? of green and renewable energy? Um, Throw a dart at that question. Huh? There was a lot. Sorry. Yeah. Pass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all, we all, all of the candidates, you know, we're, we get together and we're like, is Island Power going to, you think it's going to, are you think they're going to bring it up? Do, do you, do you think it's good? You know, or, Forget all those it's people. It's become a really big part of, um, it's become a really, I mean, it was such a divisive issue. Let's yeah, just say that it just, really divided our community, and um, and that was obvious and um, unfortunate. I, I want to um, come out and say that I I never advocated for or against a municipal electric utility. Um, there have been um, some accusations that I was a part of the Island Power campaign. I shouldn't call them accusations because I, I do respect um, the intentions of the of the of the people that were advocating for the municipal municipalization. Hashtag of, fake news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me say that word again. <laughs> no. Uh, I'll just I'll just say mu m e m u e. Um, no, but um, I think they're they they had well meaning intentions. You're but, the, but the fact will. is, is I I was I was simply just not present during those debates. So I came out with my public statement on that issue uh, on June thirteenth, two thousand seventeen, or was it June seventeenth? It was the check. week of June thirteenth to June seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, and uh, we don't fact check, and. Uh, um, and my statement um, more or less said that I supported council's decision to cease consideration, recognizing that there was simply not the community support to proceed. Um, I think that was obvious before council decided to, to cease um, on that date. Um, I think it was pretty obvious about a year in. Um, but that said, one of the things that this did was it highlighted our community's desire to transform our energy into a more green and renewable source. Again, we are an environmentally allied community. Um, most there, people, yeah, go is ahead. Is there a difference between green and renewable in definition standards, I guess? You know, if you get into it, I'm sure Joe would probably, people that are, you know, they might carry different um, Shout implications. Out but um, let's just say I'm not an expert on energy uh, at all. That's not my field of expertise. Um, I have learned a lot about this along the way, and I remain open to learning more, um, especially as we approach the franchise negotiation agreements. But understand that this is going to be a commitment involving a lot of people, a lot of community, a lot of our community task force and groups, include, including Climate Action Bainbridge. Um, we have other uh, environmental communities that will likely become involved in um, figuring out a, a reasonable 
and rational and affordable way to move us towards a more sustainable direction in terms of our energy and our power. Um, the point is a municipal electric utility is not the way to go. Um, I've been asked a lot over the course of this campaign, would I support bringing it up on a ballot um, during my term? My answer is no. I would advise against that. Again, I want to work towards and challenge us to, to work towards finding solutions that the community is going to unite around. I don't want to see our community go through this again. It was really, um, it was really a difficult time and a difficult struggle. And um, I think we've we all recognize that we're united in our again in our desire to move towards cleaner energy source to get off coal um we signed on to the paris climate accord this year Council. yeah that was cool that was really screw you, amazing Trump. i'm very proud of that <laughs> we actually though have committed to doing this to some degree um energy's technologies are changing all the time we yeah, don't so know what's going to be available to us in five years or 10 years and this was one of the probably one of the most thoughtful arguments against forming a municipal electric utility with regard to the amount of debt we would have adopted had we um you know uh proceeded on yeah, this we, path we'd have to resource it energy may change like you said right five years down the road mm -hmm. 10 years we don't know what that energy model is going to look mm -hmm. like and committing to a 30-year plan um and doing it and privately, it, it seems daunting. And yeah. what kind of workforce do we have to accomplish that? Where are those funds going to come to get those resources? Mm -hmm. And we talked about priorities with the the trail and how we could use it in other ways. You know, we'd have nothing left, I think, if we privatized. And that's another really good point. Um, the, the financial component was, um, you know, was was pretty illuminating. Um, and there are other, other things and other ways that we can, um, spend that money and, uh, prioritize our goals to, um, to include, um, lessening our overall carbon footprint, but by investing in other things like, you know, like we talked about non-motorized transportation, um, tree retention on the island, stopping clear-cut development on the island, um, working towards, um, uh, directing more of our uh, water uh, th that runs off the island back into our aquifers. That's something that I've heard too by um, kind of redesigning our uh, kind of our gutters or sewer systems. Those, you know, those, those kinds of things. They're, they're small things. Rain gardens. Rain gardens, exactly. Um, there are a lot of progressive ideas out there. Other cities are implementing them, using them. We could, we could learn a lot from, um, by example, um, but, um, you know, point, point is, is um, municipal electric utility is just, just not the way to go. Rasham, let's get off the politics for a bit and cool. uh, <laughs> close this out with a little bit of fun. I have okay. this little segment called the Fast Five where I'm going to ask you uh, five questions real fast. Oh, yep. my gosh. This is so fun. I feel like I'm on TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the dating game, right? Okay. Um, chicken or egg? Chicken. Do you think the chicken came before the egg? Who laid the egg? Hmm. Yeah. Is that what you thinking? Yes. Philosophy degree, UC Berkeley. Every Snap. Don't, don't argue with me on that don't one. Don't test. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite app? You mean like for the iPhone? Shout out to iPhone. <laughs> Not a sponsor, but you can um, be. Is, can I say the messaging app? Sure. Which message messaging app? Just There's the basic iPhone. I'm so boring. 
Nej, nej, nej. Well, I have to think about this. It's the one I use the most. My my mom and my sisters are down in California. You know, you don't even want to know how many times we message each other in a day. It's it's embarrassing. No, that's... over three hundred. Sorry, did I? <laughs> you don't want to know, so I'll tell you. <laughs> love it. No, we uh, love each other very much. We're very close. I'm very I'm very happy about that. <laughs> who's the nicest person you know? My husband. Good answer. Favorite food to grow? Kale. I'm a Swiss chard guy, but I like, really? I like kale Can't too. Can't live without kale. I have, I have two giant rows devoted just to kale, and I eat it all. What type? Russian kale or? <laughs> I have uh, Russian kale. I have the dino kale. And then I have some varieties that I can't even pronounce. That's... There's not just the kinds at the grocery store. No, there's GMO it everywhere. Goes, it, goes on, <laughs> it goes on and on. Uh, green curly. There's also a variety of kale that's actually not a kale, but it's still called a kale. Um, and it's this flat leaf. Um, it's got a different flavor. It almost t- uh, tastes like eating like a cauliflower or cabbage leaf or something. Shout out to Plate and Pint where I get my kale Caesar salad. <laughs> it's all Always good stuff. Good. Um, last one in the Fast Five here. Um, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Read people's minds. Ah! <laughs> what am I thinking now? <laughs> because then I can anticipate your questions and be a... Yeah, I wish I could anticipate I my own like questions it. too. I'm kind of winging it. <laughs> Total newbie here. Um, Thank you for the fast five. Last question I'd like to uh, ask you, what is the um, best quality of the person that you're running against? Wow. That's an amazing question. Um, Hear that, wifey? I'm amazing with my (laughs) questions. No, it is because it, um, it, it forces me to think positively, which I, I aspire to do in my own personal life. Um, a lot of campaigning is can be negative, and I've definitely been receiving a lot of negative um, campaigning. Stop and, the hate haters. Um, trying to run an optimistic and positive campaign, you know, it's, it's actually a really difficult thing to do. And I acknowledge um, my fellow candidates for 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 standing up to the plate. I acknowledge all the mem- sitting members of council for having gone through this Thanks and for God. enduring the scrutiny. Um, and the public um, attention um, every day. It's a, it's a difficult responsibility, a very valuable service to perform. Um, of course, I wholeheartedly uh, desiring to, to fulfill this um, spot on council. I think um, it's one of the most valuable services you can perform in terms of um, giving back to the community. I'm very excited about that. Now, I'll stop avoiding your question. <laughs> You're formulating your answer while speaking. That's, that's excellent. <laughs> I've met, I've met um, my opponent many so. times now <laughs> you gotta know over what the course of this against. campaign. And I don't know if you've seen us up there in forums in general. Candidates are laughing and talking um, and we're enjoying each other's company because we do. Because at the end of the day, we're not councilmen and we're not candidates. We're people. And more importantly, we're neighbors. We all live in the same place. Um, and um, so I, I, I respect him deeply. Um, I think he's uh, got a lot of experience um, having served four years on council. Um, and uh, he's proven his um, dedication um, to the community through performing that um, service. And um, 
you know, again, I just have, I have a lot of respect for him and really for anyone who, um, who steps up to the plate to perform this kind of a service. Um, so, Rashan, yeah. um, how can people get up to date with what you're doing, find you? Can you plug your website, any social media, anything? Uh, yeah. Maybe current events. Not too current because it's going to take me a minute to edit this. Okay. Um, especially <laughs> with no no real ability. <laughs> um, so, like, oh, let's say a week down the road, where are you at? Um, sure. And what you got going on? So, um, I'll, I'll just... Uh, remind people about my website first. There's a lot of information on my website, including an events page. So people can find out where I'm going to be um, by clicking the events tab of my webpage. My webpage is Rasham for citycouncil.org. And is, four yeah. is a number, <laughs> number four. Um, I'm also pretty active on my Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, I encourage you to get in contact with me there. Join my um my official campaign page and stay in touch with me. That's Rasham for city council. And that's spelled just to keep people on their toes. That's spelled out for F O R Rasham for city council on Facebook. Um, if you had a, hadn't had a chance to come to a forum, um, there's another one being held by the Kitsap association of realtors. That's next Tuesday at wing point um, golf and country club at noon. I do believe um, reservations are required so that you'd need to be in touch with them for more information about that. Um, but again, lots of opportunities for uh, meet and greets. I'm hosting several from now until November 7th. Um, we'll be out there embarrassing ourselves on uh, various street corners around the island, waving our flags and our signs. Um, so, you know, honk your horn, uh, let out a wave, um, let us know you're you're there and you're listening and paying attention. Um, I'm also going to be doing even more doorbelling. And I have a lot of people and supporters that are knocking on neighbors' doors as well. So um, hopefully you're one of those doors and I get a chance to meet you in person. Awesome. Well, you just did. Rasham Nassar, I'm very impressed with you. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and meeting you today. And thank you for coming into the studio. You have been listening to the Bystander Podcast. We're out.